After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Peter Flaherty. Millie is with us this week, but asleep, at least for now. We'll see. We've got a great deal to talk about this week on the podcast. We've reached the midpoint of the college baseball season. So we're going to uh, definitely get into you know, some surprises, some disappointments from the first half. It's been uh, it's kind of crazy the how the schedule flies by but we, we are at the midpoint and uh we're we're excited to uh you know kind of review where we're at and, and look ahead to to where we're going and then we're going to get into uh the big series from last weekend that being lsu and tennessee and look ahead to this weekend what those two teams have is lsu has another top 10 series on tap at south carolina and tennessee hosts florida doesn't get any easier for the vols this weekend really except they are at home and then out west, Oregon and Oregon State in an intriguing Pac-12 showdown. And we'll, uh, we'll get into Miami heading to Virginia in uh, what looks like a pretty exciting ACC matchup as well. So a lot to get to today on the Baseball America College podcast. Peter, like I said, we're at the midpoint of the season. Does it feel like we're at the midpoint of the season? I, I think that for me, it does. The weather is really warmed up. And now that we're past basketball season, all the... All of that's over. MLB's had their opening day. It just kind of feels like now we we can make a a big second half push as as a college baseball sport moving forward. I was gonna say once the season starts, it seems to always fly by. But like you said, between my allergies starting, um, the college basketball now ending, um, MLB opening day, it's getting lighter outside. It's getting warmer. It definitely has that mid to late season feel, and each series is just going to become that more important, each weekend that much bigger, and each individual game is going to be that much bigger for a lot of these teams. So I think we're in for an exciting last month plus of a regular season, and then we kind of head into the conference tournaments and regional play, which is kind of hard to believe that we're talking about it already, but I'm excited about it. Uh, pretty much every Tuesday, maybe you do it on Wednesdays too, depending on the slate. But anyway, in, in the midweek, you tweet out a list of games that you're, you're focusing on. You can follow Peter at Peter G Flaherty. And I was looking at your list today and I was just, I was starting to work through the projected field of 64 for this week. And I was like, oh, well that one has implications for the field as I put this together. And so does that one and that one. And, uh, it's, uh, 
it, it's definitely starting to become a little more a little more real. You have to actually acknowledge that the postseason is is coming. That you know you can't just say, well, it's early in the season anymore. That you know these games, you know, they count, but we're not thinking about that. Like when North Carolina State and ECU play each other, it becomes that much bigger of a deal for for both of the teams or, or UNC and South Carolina. There are some intriguing midweek matchups this week. We're, we're not going to touch on them at all, other than what I just said, because we're recording this a day early because everything starts a day early this week. It being Easter uh, week, a lot of the series run Thursday to Saturday this week. So something to keep in mind uh, as you're planning your weekend. Uh, it's not not a typical schedule for a lot of teams around the country. And that is why you're getting this podcast in your feed uh, a day earlier. Let's get to some of this uh, midseason talking points here in terms of surprises and disappointments. This is something that, you know, I, I get asked a lot this time of year. So let's, uh, let's answer it here on the podcast. I get asked who uh, you know who surprised you this year. Who, who's who stood out in in a positive way? And you know, like last year, nobody really had Tennessee running away uh, from the field the way they did. Oftentimes, it's something like that. But Peter, this year we have some legitimate, like true surprises, like teams that are not typically all that good that are in the top ten now. Uh, Boston College and Kentucky both moved into the top ten this year uh, this week. For the first time in a long time, uh, in Kentucky's case, it was 2018, early in the season. Uh, in BC's case, this is the first time ever. You have Southern Cal ranked. They've won four straight Pac-12 series to open uh, conference play. They hadn't won four straight Pac-12 series since 2001. And if uh, you need a little bit more fine of a like, well, okay, but how long ago was 2001? Yes, that's 20 years ago. But Mark Pryor was a USC Trojan the last time they won four straight Pac-12 series. And of course, back then it was Pac-10 series. And Coastal also moved into the rankings this week. And Coastal's a, a little bit of a difference here. Like they actually made the NCAA tournament last year. They they have been uh, more consistently good than some of these other teams that we're talking about. Uh, but they're so good this year that they're at the top of the Sun Belt standings right now. They're a team that's looking at like they can host regionals. And I, I, that's a little bit of a departure. We haven't seen Coastal at quite that level for the last couple of years, at least really since they hosted in 2018. So those are kind of the teams I picked out as surprises, Peter. And we've talked about BC on the podcast here. We've talked some about USC. We haven't really gotten that much into Kentucky or Coastal, but um, any of those four, if you want to want to, talk about uh, your level of surprise or or whether you saw any of this coming. I think I'm most surprised as probably everyone is with Boston college coming off of last season. They didn't make the ACC tournament for the second straight year, 19 and 34, five and 25 in the conference. And this year they've already surpassed both of those win totals. Um, After this past weekend series win of Georgia over Georgia tech, they've got 20 on the year, eight and four now in the conference. They've won four straight conference series and they're in the they're not only in the tournament conversation they're going to have to play themselves out of the tournament at this point um but they're also in the hosting conversation and it's interesting because i don't know how that will shake out with them hosting and if they're even able to they are um, able to with the new facility they're able to nice okay so that would be so being familiar with that facility this is a a little bit of an aside but that that'll be a really fun environment if they do host it's very open 
um, very fan friendly, and that'll be. I actually wonder how open it would be. I, I would have to like talk with somebody at BC about this because the facility you see now that you're familiar with that if you watch on TV or if you've been there, it seats a thousand, maybe twelve hundred. They um, they have the ability to expand it for a tournament setting. They can like double the um, double the amount of seats in there. I don't know exactly how they do it. A lot of teams do that, but uh, they would add some more stands. I think would would be the plan. So. Some of the openness would uh, would get sacrificed, but that would mean more more fans in the seats, which is uh, uh, never a bad thing. Yeah, no doubt. But anyways, I, I'd, I'd say I'm most surprised with BC, and they're playing just very, very sound baseball on either side. They're throwing quality strikes. They're hitting the ball well. And on, on the offensive side, it's not who you'd think. Travis Honeyman is having a solid season, but a, a pair of seniors in Barry Walsh and Peter Burns are kind of leading the way with – Batting averages of 348 and 339, respectively. Honeyman has started to come on as of late, and he's up to 290 with three home runs. He's been hitting the ball hard all year. Um, has just hit into some tough luck outs, but is now finally starting to find some green. And then pitching-wise, they Chris Flynn has been magnificent. 1.76 ERA, 53 Ks in 41 innings, 229 opponents batting average. And his story is a great one. He was... So out of high school, he was hardly recruited, really not recruited at all. Um, we ended up going to Roger Williams, which is a very small Division three school in Rhode Island. And not only did he go to Roger Williams, he was a walk-on at Roger Williams, where he then made the team, had a great four-year career there before grad transferring to Boston College. So the D3 to D1 leap in and of itself is always a big one. But with Flynn, it's it's even cooler given that he was a walk-on at the D3, and now he's finding so much success at Boston College, and he's been a huge reason why they've been able to win so many of these Sunday rubber matches they find themselves in, even though he's throwing on Saturdays. But he he keeps them in every series. You can count on anywhere from five to seven quality innings from him, time in and time out. And they've had a lot of sophomore arms take a leap. Julian Tonghini is one of them. Um, Joey Ryan's another, he's, he's kind of gotten hit around a little bit lately, but he's been good out of the bullpen, Matt Noonan again, ERA inflated because of a, of a tough outing on Sunday in that 24 to 12 affair, but they've, they've got everything going for them. And admittedly, I've, I've kind of sat here and wonder when the, the carriage is going to turn into a pumpkin, so to speak with them. And it, it's just not. And I think it's time that you know, everyone around the country takes this BC team seriously. I know that any opponent they have will because they're a top 10 team in the country, but this is a legitimate super regional Omaha type team and they just keep proving it. They might not have as prospecty a roster as some of these other teams or a, that, you know, they play in a cold weather state, but um, they're, they're for real. And they've got another good series this weekend against Louisville Kentucky, I'm surprised with just given how well they're playing. I 25 and three, eight and one in the conference. Um, a really good series win this weekend over a Missouri team that I think is a very solid ball club, and they swept them very comfortably. Um, so I'd say just because of their the sheer loudness, I guess, of their record, I'm surprised. If you had told me Kentucky or really anyone from the SEC would be a regional team at this point, I wouldn't have totally been floored just because of the high quality baseball up and down the conference. But 
Um, Hunter Gilliam's been fantastic for them, hitting 410 with eight doubles and six home runs. Second baseman, Emilian Petre, again, he's kind of a slash and dash guy, moves the baseball really well, 370. And then Jackson Gray and Jace Felker hitting 350 and 329. But on the mound is kind of where the Cats have found a ton of success. Team ERA of three. Um, starting out of the bullpen, Ryan Hagenau has been magnificent. He seems to have found his his niche in the bullpen. He he struggled as a starter as after being a highly touted recruit, but moved him to a closer setup role this year, and he's been outstanding. Um, and then in the rotation, Zach Lee has been has been great as their Friday guy and Tyler Bosma on Saturdays has been, has been great as well. So cats again are playing good baseball. It's another top 10 team. You're talking about if you had told me either of those teams were in the top 10, I would have probably laughed a little bit just because of, again, I, I, I was very, very shocked with both being in the top 10. Um, and then let's, I, before we move on, let me hit on Kentucky here for a second. Cause I, what you said about BC, you know, just where they came from the last two years makes them more surprising. And I, I definitely agree with that. Kentucky is a little bit different. They're a team that usually hovers around the NCAA tournament bubble that, you know, maybe could be ranked at certain points during the year. And, you know, last year they beat Tennessee, you know, to to win a series against Tennessee a year ago, which I, I think it was just them and Notre Dame. Nobody else did it. That Like that says a lot. That says how much talent you have. But they're playing more consistent baseball this year. They're third in the nation in ERA. And like, that is the surprising thing about Kentucky. If you told me, oh, okay, like you'll rank them in the top 25 at some point and they'll be in the tournament. I said, okay, I, I get it. Like, like you said, Peter, like if you're an SEC team and you do that in any given year, like sure. But this eight and one start in SEC play, the the fact that we're you know talking about them potentially hosting for the first time since 2017, um, you know, a, a, a team that's into the top 10 that, just hasn't lost at all this year, basically. And uh, that that's the thing that stands out. And then the other thing that stands out about Kentucky to me is that they're kind of zigging a little bit here in the SEC. And the SEC right now, a lot of things are very power-driven offensively, uh, certainly on the mound too. And Kentucky can mix it up with uh, with the best of them pitching-wise, clearly, if they third in the nation in, uh, in ERA. But they're a team that likes to move the ball a little bit. Like you don't see a lot of action offenses in the SEC. Vanderbilt does it to a, to a certain degree, but Kentucky's doing it too this year. And uh, I'll be interested to see as we keep going through the SEC play, how much that puts pressure on some of these pitching staffs that aren't used to it. And, you know, some of the, the defenses, you're going to have to field bunts. You're going to have to get ready to play hit and runs. Uh, when you see Kentucky, you're going to have to defend stolen bases. And again, that, that makes them a little bit different and a, just a little bit tougher to prepare for maybe. Absolutely. And that's a great point. They, they do play, they really push the pace on teams. They're not afraid to play small. They'll beat you kind of playing a West coast style. And I think that their sustained success has been, I, I guess, a little bit of a surprise to this point, just because th- they're no stranger to fast starts in 2021 they were, I think, 18 and three. And then in 2022, they were 14 and three before getting into the meat of the SEC schedule. And for lack of a better term, just fading away. But this year it's through nine games, eight and one. They're they're clearly here to stay. This is a very different team than those past two seasons. This is a, a team that can probably sustain success. And I mean, they're right in the thick of things for a top eight national seed. And then 
the last surprise you mentioned, Coastal Carolina. I think that they're the least surprising team of the bunch just because they've been the class of the Sun Belt. They've won a national championship recently, somewhat recently. Um, and they're, again, a tournament team. But I think what makes them unique in this in this uh, this season is the fact that they might be hosting. Um, they lost a lot from last year, and people were expecting a little bit of a step back. But they're hitting the ball really well again. Um, they're Springbrook Stadium is very hard to pitch at, and so their ERA is a little inflated, but they do have some talent on the mound. Darren Horn, Bryce Schaefer, and Matt Potok are kind of the three big guys, and then Teddy Sharkey out of the bullpen has been nails. So they're a coastal team in that they're really going to hit. They can get into shootouts with anybody and kind of go punch for punch and play, get into a home run derby, so to speak. They have the personnel to do that, but I think it's surprising that we're sitting here past the midway point and they're right in the thick of things and hosting a regional. So I, I like those as the three main surprises. And and if there's anything else you want to touch on with them, obviously go ahead. Third in the nation in scoring for coastal. And uh, it's just a deep lineup. Like they, we've seen in the past, you know, just to within the last couple of years, coastal has turned out some really big time uh, draft prospects that are position players. And I don't think that this year they really have a guy like is, is Nick lucky their best prospect from a hitting standpoint, Peter? Like, I, I just don't see a, like they certainly don't have a first or a second round type, but is there, is there someone I'm overlooking here as an obvious draft prospect for, for the Shans? No, you're spot on in the 2023 class. It is Nick lucky and he's a good player. He's a twitchy. We're talking out- about a fourth year player though, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's like you can only get so high of a prospect status. I mean, I think he hears his name called somewhere, but, in terms of that, like Eric Brown type top three rounder, you're going to have to look down the road a little bit at maybe, maybe Caden Bodine in 2025. That's so far down the road and he's only had 89 <laughs> college at bats. So I'd say it's Nick Lucky. And and like you said, they're doing it without a super prospecty roster, which is very impressive. And, and coach Gilmore year in and year out just gets the absolute most out of any hitter he brings on the campus. Yeah, and they all just hit. They're hitting like 330 as a team. I think they're fourth, fifth in the nation or something. And in batting average, it's uh, it's been quite impressive. And um, the Sun Belt is so deep this year. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see you know, who else emerges from that conference right now. But the, the way Coastal is hitting the ball, the way that they've really uh, been able to find some identity there offensively with an older lineup um, is uh, is really impressive. And uh, if they do get to host, that's a, a really fun venue. Um, that would be a really offensive uh, regional, I'm sure. Uh, it, just a, a fun one to think about a little bit down the line. But but right now, we can just enjoy uh, this Coastal team. And it's uh, it's definitely a fun one to watch. You know there are going to be runs. If you put on a Coastal game, you know there are going to be runs. So uh, if you like offense, the, the Chanticleers are, are definitely one to uh, to look at. On the flip side... There are there have definitely been some disappointing teams this year, and you know if you look at teams, if you look at the preseason top twenty-five, you'll find that uh, Ole Miss and Texas A and M were preseason top ten teams. They just played a series uh, this this weekend, and it was uh, it was not it was not the, the the hype was not there. The hype that, that we had in Baton Rouge it was it was not there. It could have been a top ten series. Uh, that's what we had expected it to be. Instead, it was. Uh, it was something else as those teams are, are kind of fighting for their lives at this point. 
Uh, so obviously it's disappointing when, when you see teams like that fade off. Um, there have been some other disappointments around the country, Oklahoma. Uh, I thought they would probably take a step back. They had the most players drafted uh, from last year's national runner up, but they're, um, they're definitely fighting it right now as well. Although they did just split a four game series against Stanford. Uh, so maybe that's something coming around. Virginia tech won the ACC a year ago. They're fighting it, although they just won a series against Virginia. They're, um, so that, that was a big deal for the Hokies. I want to spend a little bit more time on this team, though, Peter. We haven't talked about them in weeks, if we even talked about them then. But uh, it's Florida State. Florida State has the longest NCAA tournament streak in college baseball. They've made it 44 straight years. That is in serious jeopardy right now. They are just three and nine in the ACC. The metrics are fine, but they actually need to win some conference games. And they have really struggled to do that to this point. This is a team that through the first couple of weeks, I thought was pretty darn good. They had just gone out and and won a series at TCU. Uh, But since then, just not a whole lot's gone right. They've got a first year coach in Link Jarrett. Link obviously is a really good coach, took Notre Dame to, to Omaha, but uh, the Knowles right now are, are in a tough spot. And as it relates to that, that postseason streak, I mean, they've been in tight spots late in the season before. Uh, I think it was like 2016 or 17 with just a couple weeks to go. It was, it was not looking good. And then they got really hot and it, they might've even won the ACC tournament that year, but they made it, they, it, it turned out not to, not to be a problem. So They've been in tight spots before, and they have found a way back. But this one feels a little bit different. Uh, just that three and nine record in the ACC is uh, is very unsightly at this stage of the season. Yeah, and like you said, they've they've been in precarious positions before when it comes to keeping their regional streak alive, and they've been able to wiggle out of it with a couple of big series wins or a deep run into the ACC tournament, but. This year really feels like they're on life support between sitting at just 12 and 15, three and nine in the ACC. There's really not a lot you can point to to this point as kind of a, oh, hey, Florida State, they did this. I I think you have to go back to the second weekend of the season with their series win over TCU, who was at that point, I think a top 10 team or top 15 team for us. But since then, it's just been very, very it's been a really rough stretch and they have dealt with some injuries. Demez Ross, who, who emerged as a, as a freshman contributor early on, he missed a lot of time. Wyatt Crowell has been out for, for, for a little while, but they've just struggled to find consistency on both sides of the baseball. I, I think their lineup is, is, is very good with Ferrer and Tibbs. I wouldn't necessarily say very good, but Ferrer and Tibbs are a really nice three, four punch. They've got, um, each are very good draft prospects for 2024. And so looking ahead a little bit next year, they'll be in a better position, I think with, with them coming back, but outside of them, they've really struggled to, to get any production. Jordan Carrion has 20 RBIs and Ben Barrett, a freshman has also done very well, but outside of them, it's really, really been, been tough for them to find a source of runs in a big hit or even just like shooting a gap. Um, it's been very hard for them to get stuff going. And then on the mound, they've got, they've had guys who put together good seasons, Jackson Baumeister um, draft eligible sophomore. He'll, he'll go pretty good in this year's draft, but 
he's had a couple of spotty outings. Um, and, and then it's, it's just kind of a bunch of guys sitting in the mid fours with their ERAs and they haven't gotten consistency with going deep into games. Carson Montgomery, I think is a guy that I, I know that they expected a little bit more out of, and I know sitting here talking with you and I, I, he he's someone that we also probably expected more out of and not to be sitting on April 4th as we talk with an ERA above 7.5 striking out less than nine hitters per striking out less than a hitter an inning 19 walks and in 26 innings and then hitters are hitting 300 against him so it's just kind of been a I guess just a, a womp womp, so to speak, for 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 Florida State and Tallahassee, and trying to look at how they can right the ship. They're going to have to do it quick. They this weekend is critical. They play Clemson this weekend. Clemson's sixteen and thirteen, two and seven in the ACC. They're at home. Like it has to start this weekend. Like I don't ever like saying you have to sweep a series until you literally have to. So I'm not going to sit here and say they have to get a sweep this weekend. Uh, but they they have to win the series this weekend. If they don't win this weekend, I, I genuinely don't even see a path. Right. I, I I was that brought me to my next point. This this series is a must win, and then after that, it's it's if if you don't win this weekend, I think barring something insane, they're going to have to win the ACC tournament. Should they even make? Which these? right now they don't even qualify for. Like right. they would if it ended today, which first of all would be weird. But if it ended today, they don't go to the ACC tournament. Yeah, that's. That's unbelievable to think about. Um, so they're, yeah, they're on serious life support. Um, and, and they've, they, they need to turn things around quickly. It's, it's unbelievable <laughs> that this is where, where we're at with them. I thought they were a pretty good team and, you know, injuries will do that obviously. And, and, you know, weird, weird things happen. They've got to get it turned around though. And they have time, but they're looking, they're staring at a nine game losing streak. They just got swept uh, by Miami for the first time since 2001 times are tough in Tallahassee and, and this weekend is, uh, is as big as they come, not for the reasons that we would normally think with, uh, with the series between Florida state and Clemson, but here we are. Uh, all right. So we're going to, uh, get into this week's slate slash a little bit of last week with, with LSU and Tennessee in a second. Uh, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, so last weekend I was in Baton Rouge. It was phenomenal, potentially the the series of the year, certainly the series of the year to this point in college baseball. There's some big ones to come. There's some big ones this weekend. They, they may yet eclipse uh, what we saw, but it was it was everything that it was billed to be in terms of the talent on the field, the atmosphere in the stands. Uh, LSU set a single game attendance record on Thursday night. And I just cannot overemphasize like it was a Thursday night in March and LSU packed 13,000 fans into the park. Uh, That's not typical. Uh, Thursday night games are are great for TV and teams in the SEC usually draw reasonably well on Thursday night, but they're not usually filling the stands. LSU set, I believe a weekend attendance record as well. Something like 35,000 fans were in the stands over the course of the weekend. Oftentimes when you see the massive, massive attendances, like no shade on anyone who gets them this way, but they usually combine them with spring football. Like that, that's usually how the biggest attendance numbers are hit in the sport. Uh, LSU did it in a weekend in which their women's basketball team was winning a national championship. Um, <laughs> like in a not very unattainable road trip for their fans. Like they were in Dallas uh, was all. And the LSU fans came out huge and, and that made the series all the, all the more special I felt like, but in terms of the talent on the field uh, you got the Skeens Dollander matchup that, that scouts wanted. And um, you know, Paul Skeens looked phenomenal and Chase Dollander looked really good, but you put him up against Paul Skeens and uh, he wasn't, he wasn't that good. Uh, it, you know, Skeens was definitely the better of the two of them on the night uh, and for the season to this point nobody's pitched better than Paul Skeens this season. And LSU comes away with the series win. Uh, Tennessee did win the game on Sunday or Saturday, the third game. Uh, they made that one a bit more of a slugfest. The first two had been a little more low scoring. Tennessee was able to muddy it up on uh, on Saturday. And I'm sure some people in Baton Rouge are now asking if LSU has a Sunday starter problem, uh, which is a reasonable question to ask, I guess. But my answer to it would just be that most teams have 
third starter issues. Like the number of teams that don't have third starter issues is so minimal that is that a bit of a concern for LSU moving forward? Like, I guess, but again, the, the teams that don't have third starter issues are like Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, end of list. Uh, everyone else is like a week or two away from wondering if they have enough pitching on a, on a Sunday. So when you have LSU's lineup, I'm not going to be concerned about where they're at. And uh, LSU certainly has talent to uh, to replace Thatcher Hurd in the rotation or to get Thatcher Hurd right if that's you know whatever course of action they want to take over the next couple months. Like I, I think they'll be all right there. So that's kind of my take on on that weekend, Peter. Uh, from what you saw from from people you've talked to, just what, what did you think of of the weekend? I think you hit the nail on the head with the, I, I guess the Sunday starter issue narrative. Um, I think anyone at this point that's looking for a hole in this LSU team is almost just, I think, being very nitpicky. I think looking up and down their roster, there really isn't a serious hole. Um, and I, they came into this season with as much hype or as around a team as anyone has, and they've they've lived up to it and maybe even exceeded it somehow in in some ways. Um, but after this weekend, I think that obviously they're the clear number one team. And I think from a draft perspective, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens are the best hitter and best pitcher respectively in this year's class. I don't think that there's really an, uh, an argument to be made against either of them. And that's no disrespect or indictment against any of the other prospects in the draft. I just think that they are that good. And we yeah, saw Paul Skeens has like 80 strikeouts and 40 innings or something. And Dylan Cruz is hitting 540. Like there is no shade on anyone. Like you're just not doing what they've done to this point. Then that's fine. Like those dudes are just insane right now. Right. And this is a tennis. This is a really good Tennessee team and Tennessee lineup. Like Paul Skeens had to face Maui Ahuna, Christian Moore, Blake Berg, Zane Denton, Jared Dickey, Jared Dickey, Griffin Merritt, true freshman Dylan Dryling's been great. I mean, it's there. There's not a pushover in that one through nine, and he came out and you saw it in person. But he made mincemeat of them. I mean, three first three pitches of the game, three swinging strikes against Maui Ahuna, 98, 99, and I think one hundred one on the stadium gun. And then he was on cruise control for the rest of the game. Um, he the slider was just hellacious. Um, it's a strong 70 pitch. He should not be allowed to throw it. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and he's able to manipulate its shape too, which, which is something that I hadn't seen in the first kind of few starts that he had, that he had, but he'll get more vertical on it and back foot it against lefties. And then against righties, it'll be more of a sweeper. And the fastball is what it is. It's it's a hundred with run, and he's got command of all three of his pitches. It's three probably double plus pitches. Um, he's a very special, one of a kind pitching prospect, and I don't know if will when we'll see someone of his caliber again. So I'm just trying to enjoy it while it lasts. And the same with Dylan Cruz. It's elite swing decisions, big time bat speed, and then power to all fields. He drives the ball with authority. You can't really beat him with anything. And then the rest of their lineup, it's Tommy White, who, who's who who's been really good as of late. Gavin Duga is a guy that I know has provided them with a big boost, both off the field and on the field. He's he's their kind of de facto captain, I would say. And then they've got a, a, a host of freshmen that are talented. So 
this is a very, very complete LSU team. They, they look like they're going to be really, really good for a long time. And I, I, Tennessee, I think it's interesting when talking about it and we'll segue into it when we talk about the Florida series, but they have a chance to, to head into the home stretch of the season being, I don't want to, I, I guess slept on because there's, we could be talking about a Tennessee team next week that has lost two SEC series in a row. Not sure where necessarily they, they might fall in the rankings. Um, but make no mistake about it that this Tennessee team is one of the most talented rosters in the country. And I think can go up against anyone and is a national championship type team, especially with their coaching staff and what they can get out of their team. So um, I, I don't think that this weekend lowered my thinking on Tennessee at all. I think it's just, you go into, I guess the meat grinder that is LSU and they just chew you up and spit you out and send you on your way. So I'm very curious to see how they respond. And I'm very curious to see how South Carolina does against them in LSU's a, a big road test for, for the Tigers. I'm working on a Tennessee piece now that should be out later this week. It's it's an interesting dynamic because this definitely is not last year's team. Like, literally, it's not most of those or a lot of those guys. I think literally most of the lineup is now in pro ball. The rotation is basically the same. Like last year, they, they were able to mix in a little bit. Some other guys and, you know, Ben Joyce is in the bullpen and wasn't there and you know, the, the pitching staff's a little bit different, but, but has a lot of the same pieces and it's um, it's just not last year's team and it's not fair to compare them to last year's team. And I think everyone intellectually understands that, but they are in some ways burdened by the fact that they are following that team and nobody's going to feel sorry for them and you shouldn't feel sorry for them for that. But it is just a little, you kind of have to disassociate what they did last year uh, with what they're trying to do this year and what they're capable of doing this year. The thing that I'm intrigued by with them moving forward is that it's taken them a bit of time to kind of figure out their lineup. I do think that they've kind of gotten the pieces that they want in there now. And with so many new players, of course, it was going to take a little bit of time. What does the second half look like if they're able to you know, more consistently run those same guys out in those right positions and all the rest of that? That that's something to look at. And then the pitching staff coming into the season, I definitely talked about how like Tennessee might have the best rotation in the country. Tennessee did have the best rotation in the country on paper. And that's definitely, they're still up there with the, the, any of any of the best, like Vanderbilt. Now, maybe you could say is the best like that. That might be who I would identify. Tennessee is really good. Tennessee's just saying they have the best rotation though. Isn't, quite fair to them and how they're used because they run so deep. They have guys out of the bullpen that can go multiple innings like Seth Halverson, like Andrew Lindsay. Uh, they were very aggressive using their bullpen last year, but they were more aggressive in using them and to get like one innings, one inning guys out there. I felt like, you know, Redmond Walsh was a one inning guy at the back of the bullpen. Ben Joyce was typically a one inning guy. They had a lot of them, and so they ran through a lot of them, but they got their starters out early. They're doing the same thing this year, just a little bit with guys who have multiple innings. They're not true piggybacks in any 
any in any event. But what you saw them do against LSU was run Halverson, run Lindsay out for multi-inning appearances. And if they're able to do that, they don't need the rotation guys to pitch deep into games. You'd like a little bit more out of them when, than what they got this weekend at LSU. But I, I do think that makes them dangerous because they have this depth on the mound that, you know, that they, again, have one of the deepest pitching staffs in the country. And I, they're not going to change their rotation moving forward. Like, that, that, I don't I don't anticipate that in, in any way. But um, just what they can do with those guys over the final seven weeks of the SEC season is uh, is going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, they they've got a lot of cards you can they can shuffle around and they have the personnel there to make a deep run. I'm it would take a lot for me to be really concerned about the Vols. Um and I think once that they get into a regional setting and a tournament setting, they're well suited to go 3 games deep at times and then to sustain a run to Omaha, they've got a great rotation. Like you said, they have a bunch of bullpen guys who've been great, Xander Sechrist, Cam Sewell, Aaron Combs. Um, there are a lot of ways that they can run guys out and a lot of iterations they can use. So I, I think that while they certainly aren't happy sitting at 21 and eight and four and five in the sec, and it might not have been what we expected. I think they're just fine. They're a really good baseball team and they're at at some point or another, they are going to kind of figure it out and find that perfect potion where it all does click. And then they're inevitably going to hit their stride. So, yeah, they're twenty-one and eight, four and five. Not not stupendous, but I I think that they will figure it out sooner rather than later. Here's the thing that I just thought of that I think I'm going to make uh, two fan bases in the SEC really mad at me right now. So get get ready for that. What if Tennessee is last year's Arkansas? And so by that I mean it, it's not a perfect comparison. But it's the team after the team. Uh, so like Arkansas was insanely good in 2021 and then they were good last year, but it was clearly a different team. Arkansas did win a bunch of SEC games, but their RPI never reflected uh, either their talent or their SEC record, really, for a variety of reasons. And they didn't host. Um, Tennessee doesn't have the RPI problem. Their RPI is fine. But they're four and five. And Peter, you alluded to it. Like if they lost this weekend, um, at home to Florida, which would be entirely plausible. Um, you're, you're looking at a team that's five and seven in the SEC. Then they have to go to Arkansas. Then they come home and play Vanderbilt. And those are both losable weekends as well. Winnable weekends for Tennessee, certainly, but also losable weekends. And so all of a sudden, you could stack up some SEC losses that the SEC right now is very crowded in terms of hosts, potentially. Um, there are seven teams right now that are ranked in the top. 15 of the of our rankings so that gives you an idea typically seven teams from a conference do not host and so somebody might get squeezed and that somebody might be tennessee because they still have to play again florida arkansas vanderbilt and south carolina and kentucky and they've got florida arkansas vandy sorry to interject they've got them consecutively yeah. starting and you can add point. the fact that they just played lsu like this is an insane month that they're playing right now <laughs> right so if they if if SEC losses start piling up for them, they might be the team that gets squeezed out. But to your point, like eventually they've got a, they've got so much talent, like it's going to click in for them. And if it doesn't click in soon enough for them that they, you know, wind up not hosting a regional, I don't know that that's the worst thing for them because 
you know, you become unburdened by the fact that you have to be a host. Um, like they do have a nice home field advantage. That's absolutely true. But like, look at what Arkansas did. They went on the road for two weeks last year and, you know, the Stillwater regional was insane, (laughs) but, uh, you know, they won that with relative ease. Like it wasn't them that was trying to come out of the loser's bracket. That was Oklahoma state. And then they swept UNC in a super, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being Tennessee's path this year. Right. And I'm with you. And they would head into the tournament being viewed as, I think, one of the toughest two seeds in recent memory. And they're a team that no one's going to want to see. So everyone would talk about them the way they talked about Arkansas last year. Like, oh, like you don't want Arkansas in your bracket. And like, oh, look, look like Oklahoma State, you're on you're on upset watch because Arkansas. And yeah, it, it would be that. And I don't know, maybe that's not the worst thing. Like they've done the they've done the home regional. They they've they've won it that way they did it two years ago and you know last year they just got upset but like i i think that them taking their particular show on the road like it it might work out for them exactly no i i agree and and it's it's going to be very fascinating to see how it all plays out over the next i think that there will be a pretty good handle on where tennessee stands after April 23rd, when they, when they finish their series at Vanderbilt, I think at that point, well, you can't make a final determination on where they'll end up with a month left in the SEC tournament still to play. I think that they will be in either one spot or another after that series. Uh, so let's look ahead to this weekend. LSU heads to South Carolina. Peter, we're sitting here. It's April 4th. What is South Carolina? <laughs> like On the one hand, they look really good. Uh, their numbers are great. The record is the record, and the record right now is twenty six and three. It's very loud. Uh, but if you actually look at the teams that they've played, they haven't seen anything like South or like LSU yet. And like that's a little unfair. There aren't that many teams running around that look like LSU, but they haven't played Florida yet. They haven't played LSU yet. They they get the Tigers this weekend, and they get them at home, which is significant. But I also. You know, South Carolina has uh, one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in the SEC, and uh, I kind of worry about the what the LSU hitters might do to uh, to Founders Park this weekend. The good news is South Carolina has a really good pitching staff. I don't know what they're doing with Will Sanders this weekend. I, I don't know yet, you know, what the intention is there. But South Carolina still has good pitching. Um, I will be very curious to see how they attack uh, this LSU offense. However. Yeah, so I think their their schedule has been light. They haven't had a, a they're kind of just entering the gauntlet of the SEC, but I will say going down to Mississippi State and a duty noble field regardless of how good Mississippi State is on any given year, going down there and winning a series is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So the fact that they did that in rather convincing fashion was encouraging to me. 26 and three is 26 and three, no matter how you slice it. Baseball is really hard. It's really weird. And it's really, really difficult to win 26 of 29 games. They also have a sweep of Missouri, which included two walk-offs. And then you're kind of like, okay, what else do you have? They do, they do have a series win over Clemson. And then it's a bunch of low mid-major teams, but they are 18 and 0 at Founders Park. Um, like you said, it is very hitter friendly and LSU is LSU. So I can only imagine what might transpire, but they've got a really dynamite 
2025 draft guy in Ethan Petrie. He's an absolute behemoth. He's hitting 442, 13 home runs, 42 RBIs. I think at this point he's favorite for SEC freshman of the year. I would say national freshman of the year right now. I was going to say, and then probably national freshman of the year as well. Long way to go. Plenty of time for other folks, but right now. Exactly. And then Braylon Wimmer's hitting well, 342, eight home runs. Gavin Cassis has exploded and really blossomed in, in his new home with 15 home runs, hitting 311. And and then their pitching's been solid. They've gotten a lot of quality outings from Noah Hall. Um, they have a, a, a trio of freshman arms who have done well. Eli Jersenbeck, um, Eli Jones has been solid. So I think they're a very, very good team. Um, I, I think that sticking them in the Omaha conversation is a very, a, a very valid conversation and a very valid seat at the table that they would have. Um, it is, their schedule is going to be a whole lot harder than it was the first 29 games with this series against LSU followed by a series at Vanderbilt, then Florida, then Auburn. So we will find out whether or not I think that they are a, a, a true top five or so team sooner rather than later. I think that they're definitely a regional team. They're probably a host when all is said and done, but I'm curious to see just how good this South Carolina team is like, are they, are we sitting here next weekend talking about them as the best team in the country? If they can somehow win this series against LSU or are we kind of saying, Hey, you know what? They're still a good quality club, probably top 15, but maybe not the top five team that we thought they were. So we'll find out soon, sooner rather than later on them. I am a, I am very excited about this club, not only this year and in the future. So this weekend will be a, a, a very, very high quality series. Yeah, a lot of what I said about Tennessee just is similarly true for 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 South Carolina. What I just said about them, uh, just in terms of the like again, there are seven teams that are in the top fifteen right now from the SEC, and losses are going to happen. Right now, the SEC looks like it has a real upper class and a real lower class, and not a whole lot in the middle. If it's going to keep like that, you know that's fine. But if a middle class eventually develops, like plausibly South Carolina falls into it. Like I think they're really good, but I also think we can't ignore the fact that it's come against Georgia and Missouri and Mississippi state, which have won a total of five sec games. And three of those uh, are Mizzou beating Tennessee. Yes. But that was also an opening weekend and Mizzou was much healthier then. So I don't know. I don't know. I am looking forward to the next three weeks to learn a lot more about South Carolina. You can't ask for a better test than this weekend. Uh, we are we are going to find out everything we need to know, I feel like, about South Carolina over the next three weeks, uh, starting with this one. Florida, meanwhile, goes to Tennessee. The Gators are number two in the country. They've been really solid uh, offensively, more than solid offensively. Like That kind of is what the team is hanging their hat on at this point. Pitching has been a little bit up and down. Some of that probably is just attributable to SEC offenses being good. They're going to encounter another really good one this weekend against Tennessee, though. Uh, And I think for Florida to win the series on the road, they're going to need their pitching staff to lock in in a way that they haven't really been locked in for a full weekend much this year. I, I think they kind of need it this weekend. Yeah, and I think if you're looking, if if people are looking to circle a weekend on their calendar where Tennessee is going to get going or where they could get going, 
it'll be this one at home against Florida. They're going to be coming into the series pissed off because they lost at LSU and they they'll be playing with a serious chip on their shoulder because they will go into it with the mindset of, okay, people have kind of written us off a little bit. Let's show us who we are and what we're about and let's take it to Florida here. So I think this could be a turning point in Tennessee's season. And I think in the hitter friendly ballpark that they play in, they they're they're well positioned to potentially win this series. Um, the Florida offense is absolutely ridiculous, though. Obviously, at the top with Jack Caglione, he's he's a one of a kind talent. There's no really other way to slice it. He's a six five monster. He's hitting four ten, has a really good handle of the barrel, makes sound swing decisions. Absolutely, I mean, just melts baseballs. His max EV of the year is 120 miles an hour, which is unheard of at any level, let alone college. 18 home runs leads the country, 44 RBIs, and then you you have to talk about Wyatt Langford, who's returning from a lower body injury. He's gotten off to a great start. Josh Rivera's production has been. I can't overstate how valuable Josh Rivera's production has been for the Gators. I don't want to say it's the reason why they're 24 and five, but it is a huge reason why they've had so much success early on. Yeah. And it's clear imagine that it, if he just goes in the draft last year, like it, it, that he's so much better this year. He, he's just having su- such a better year. It, no doubt. And it's a, it's a violent swing. It's tailored to do damage. And then they've gotten a ton of production from Cade Carland, who's been, a, a great freshman if it wasn't for Ethan Petrie probably is is being talked about as SEC freshman of the year and then Colby Halter's come on as of late where their one kind of bugaboo and inconsistency has been is on the mound they haven't really the talents there with Sprout and Waldrop and Caglione as your weekend rotation there I'm I'd be hard pressed to find multiple rotations that are head and shoulders above that it's just been getting consistency and I'd say three straight starts in a row where all of them are clicking and it is difficult to do. Like I talked about with South Carolina's record, baseball is so hard. And especially when you're in the sec, it's very difficult to get three lights out starts in a row, but Caglione the last couple of Sundays, the last few Sundays hasn't been at his best. And so I kind of wonder what they I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but they do have the personnel. If they want to maybe move him to a more abbreviated role, they do have the personnel to to replace him on Sundays. I mean, I think that's a legitimate conversation for a lot of players. I wouldn't. I would just say, you know, he's a sophomore who's never gone through the SEC before, like didn't pitch last year, like just let him work through it. But he's so valuable offensively, and you do have to wonder what is that taking out of him and the list of dudes that have been as good as he is like it's hard to be a two-way player at any level and i've talked with a lot of coaches about how you deal with it and sometimes you just kind of have to build everything around the fact that you have this really good two-way player from a rotation standpoint and i don't think they have the ability to do that because they're trying to be better than like he's not their best starter you know so like they can't just put him on friday and build everything around it he has to fit with everyone else and I, it, it, it maybe is a conversation they need to have at some point. Exactly. And I wonder, he's up to 99 from the left side. We'll sit 96, 98. He moves really athletically. The slider flashes plus. I wonder if they end up using him maybe in a later inning role where he could mow down. He could really plow through a couple of innings at a time. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I think they'll probably wait a little while before they entertain that idea. 
Um, but I don't know. I, I do think that this is going to be an interesting series with how good Tennessee's lineup is. They are just coming off their series at LSU, and so their eyes are going to be very hot and not kind of overwhelmed with the stuff that Florida is going to throw at them. Um, but then on the flip side, yes, Tennessee will probably be able to hang offensively, but they've also got to deal with the Gators offense. So I think that I don't think runs will be at a premium. I think that it'll be a relatively high scoring series. And I kind of, I lean giving the edge to the Vols. It's going to be, I think it will, will almost certainly come down to, to Sunday if it doesn't cut or Saturday rather um, with Easter being on Sunday. Um, I think it'll almost certainly come down to the game to the, to a decisive game three. So um, it'll be, it'll be a really good series. And if Florida is able to win this one, it'll be a, a super loud road series win. And then if Tennessee loses this one, as we alluded to, it'll just kind of be a, you know, a, a kick it down the road conversation, so to speak, as to when they will get going. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll have to see about that. Two really exciting ones this weekend in the sec. Uh, let's go out West. Oregon uh, is coming off of, uh, or Oregon State, excuse me, is coming off of a needed, much needed series win uh, against Washington. Oregon, meanwhile, comes in red hot. They've won nine straight. That's the third longest active winning streak in the country as we record this. We'll see what happens in the midweeks, of course. But uh, they are coming off of a a sweep of Arizona. Arizona right now. Oh, boy. Um, That's a different conversation. (laughs) Oregon, though, looking very good uh, to this point. They, however, like th- this nine-game streak, they they won two, the last two at Washington State. And Washington State this year, we've talked about it, no pushover, uh, solid road series win. And then it's four wins against Northwestern State, um, you know, in one of those weird kind of midseason, like who really knows what to make of this non-conference series. And then again, Arizona. They've lost nine straight uh, Pac-12 games. It's They're fighting it. Uh, but that was a road series win for Oregon. So big deal for, for the Ducks to get that, that road sweep. Oregon State has some tough series losses at this point. And getting that win last weekend at Washington might be exactly what they need to kick on. And they're going into a rivalry series, which is, uh, you know, always heated and uh, you know everyone's going to be up for this one. I, I think this has the potential to be a really fun one. And also is still going to be educational for for us as we try and figure out exactly what Oregon and Oregon State are this year. Oregon right now is uh, an insane RPI. They're at 12 as we record this. And they need to validate that number in Pac-12 play. But this is a team that's been in the mix to host regionals the last couple of years. A, A series win this weekend, and they're probably going to hang right in there all season long, all season long again. Uh, on the flip side, Oregon State is, you know, buzzing around the bubble. And uh, if they don't win this weekend, that that's just going to, you know, be even more of their reality. So both of them, I, again, it's it's only the first weekend of April, but there are some real postseason implications on top of the rivalry stuff that that is uh, is going to be there in Eugene this weekend. Yeah, and it's a big series for each team, as you touched on, for different reasons. Oregon, if they were to win this, they'd probably solidify themselves as a tournament team, be brought up in the hosting discussion, and then depending on how everything else shakes out, maybe make their way into the top 25. And then with Oregon State, that series win over Washington, even though the Huskies are my personal cheeseball team. Um, For those unfamiliar with the term, cheeseball just means personal favorite. So I've... 
I've been a huge Huskies advocate. They did take them down this weekend, which was enormous for them. It was a series win that they really, really needed, and they got it over a quality ball club. And so if they're able to take that momentum into this weekend and beat Oregon, I think that they will have, I, I don't want to say righted the ship completely because it's a, a, a bit of a drastic statement to make over five or six games, but but they will have probably worked themselves back into the to a regional conversation and um, look to take on what is now top 25 USC the following weekend. So um, Travis Bazana continues to be the guy for, for the Beavers. He's hitting 366 with 11 doubles and three home runs and a team leading 25 RBIs. He is just thunderous bat speed, plays the game extremely hard. He's a leader on the field and off the field. He has incredible knowledge metrically of his own swing and just baseball in general. He is a, he's just a baseball nut. So he's a very fun player. Micah McDowell has been great as a table setter hitting over 340. And then on the mound pitching, they've gotten strong pitching all year. Um, ERA is just three, four, but Trent Sellers has been, been their best arm by, by far with 59 Ks and 33 innings. And then out of the bullpen, Ryan Brown has been dynamite. Um, so, and then for the Ducks, you're, they, they, I think that they have more of a, more of a gaudy kind of lineup with Tanner Smith, Sabine Ceballos, Colby Shade, and Riku Nishida. Riku Nishida's come on as of late. Production wasn't really there, um, but he had a great series. This past weekend is now hitting above 320. And then Jacob Walsh. Hitting, hitting 410 in conference play is Riku Nishida. Unbelievable. And he, and on the season, he's got 13 walks to 8Ks. He's an on-base specialist. He's only made one error on the dirt, or I guess on the turf of PK Park. Um, and then Jacob Walsh has really, really been outstanding lately, especially this past weekend. He won Pac-12 Player of the Week. Now up to 293 has thunderous power from the left side. And so this is a this is a Ducks team that's really solid on paper. And I don't know if they for either team to win this series, I will have renewed excitement about each ball club. But if Oregon wins this series, I'll suddenly become a whole lot more excited about the Ducks and my my wheels will start really turning about what they could be as a club. So I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Again, as you mentioned, Oregon, Oregon State is one of the best rivalries in the country, and that'll surely be a very competitive, highly contested series. So a fun one on tap up at PK Park. I really like um, what Oregon's been able to do on the mound. Like they haven't been banged up a little bit. Their rotation isn't the best, but they're still they're still finding a way on the mound. They're really built from the back. Josh Molaris has been one of the impact transfers, one of the better ones around the country. Um I was definitely one that went under the radar when it happened. Uh, he's a grad transfer from San Francisco. I'm sure we ranked him in our top 100, but I'm also sure it wasn't very high. Uh, but he's been he's been dynamite uh, as their closer. And again, like their their rotation is not where their bread is buttered on the mound, but they're they're hitting really well. They have a solid bullpen. Uh, I I think that's a, a pretty good recipe for them moving forward. And uh, I will be a little bit interested because I, I think that Oregon State certainly has the advantage in the rotation and maybe on the mound period this weekend, but um, you know, not by not by a ton, I don't think. And, and you know, Oregon has a really exciting lineup, so a tricky one for both teams this weekend, a needed one for both teams for for different reasons. But I, I think that makes this weekend really special, potentially in Eugene. 
Uh, okay, last one that we wanted to touch on, going back across the other side of the country, Miami is going to Virginia. Now, Miami is uh, coming off of that sweep of Florida State, getting the first time they've swept the Knolls uh, since 2001. So they've got some momentum coming into this. Virginia, uh, on the other hand, did not win their rivalry series. They went to Virginia Tech and lost on Saturday and Sunday, their first series loss of the season. So they're looking to get right uh, as they return home. For Miami, this is a big weekend uh, if they're going to you – know, they're a good team. What we know about Miami is they're a good team. They, they, they have the wins that they have, but they have not really competed well against the elite teams. And now, I guess, considering that Virginia just lost this, uh, this series, maybe you can question, especially if they were to lose this weekend, is Virginia an elite team? But Miami went 1-5 on the – and it was on the road, but they went 1-5 – against Florida and Wake Forest and wasn't super competitive in a lot of those games. If they do that again this weekend at Virginia, I think we kind of have our answer of about what Miami's ceiling is. But on the other hand, if they're able to this weekend come out and get some big wins, they'll have a real shot in the division race. They'll have a, re- they'll have kind of proven what they are to an extent. So I think this is a massive weekend for Miami and it's coming at a good time. They pitched really well this weekend. Uh, their rotation all three guys pitched into the eighth inning, um, which is special. And they do have some momentum coming out of that Florida state series. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I think if Virginia were to lose this series, while barring some, some really unforeseen result with how they lose it, I, I won't be overly concerned. Maybe I won't have them in that, elite tier of teams anymore, but I really won't be all concerned, all that concerned about Virginia, given their personnel, excuse me. And they're a team that's 17 and 0 at home. Kyle Teal and Ethan O'Donnell have been outstanding for them, but with Miami, the key for them and, and why they've been able to get going is, is like you mentioned, their pitching staff and their weekend rotation, particularly Gage Zeal, who after the first couple of weekends was a guy that I know we were a little concerned about. Um, I'm sure Miami was a little bit concerned about him as well, but he's really come on as of late. He's got outstanding stuff. He's got a plus slider, fastball up to 97. Carson Ligon is more of the pitchability specialist of the two. Um, He'll just attack the zone, throw quality strikes. Nothing he really throws is straight. And then Alejandro Rosario also turned on a great great outing. And he has great stuff, really loud stuff, but – the numbers aren't necessarily to boot, but <clears throat> when when it's all going for him, it's it's really good. And then you you throw in Andrew Walters, who for my money's worth is the best closer in the country. So they've got a legit back end guy with Walters, and then their offenses they've 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 hit the ball really well. And CJ Kafe is coming on, similar to how Gage Zeal the <clears throat> geez the spring allergies are just kicking my butt. Um, <laughs> Good God. I feel like I'm like in the box against Paul Skeens, but um, no, Kafis and, and Kafis and Zeal coming on at, at the same time has been, has been fantastic for Miami and they've reaped the benefits of, of both of their production. So they're going to have to go in and beat UVA at a place where they haven't lost yet this season. But if they were to go in there and win the series, they'd be well positioned in the conference race. And then also I'd, I start to talk about them as a host and then what they could do once they make a regional. And is that an Omaha team? Are we talking about them as, I don't, 
I don't want to say national championship team quite yet, but are we talking about them as a potential Omaha team? Um, I'm very curious to see how they look on both sides of the baseball there, how their lineup navigates facing Conley or how, how their lineup faces Brian Edgington um, and uh, the Virginia pitching staff that has been really, really good up to this point. And then also how, how their arms will go through a Virginia lineup that is chock full of, of professional prospects. So a really good series for a lot of reasons. One that will probably, in my mind, determine who I think is probably the class of that conference. And it'll it'll set up an interesting race going forward. The um, concern I have in this specific matchup for Miami, like I don't worry about it terribly much in the long run, but in this specific matchup for Miami, I worry about the depth of their pitching staff. They just do not throw that many guys out there. And this is the kind of weekend where you might run through a whole bunch of pitchers uh, because Virginia can do that to you. So if that happens, what, how does Miami respond to it? If they don't get length from their starters, uh, it was great that it happened last weekend that way, but what, you know, do, can they, can they still find that success if they have to get into their bullpen faster? Um, you're right. They have arguably the best closer in the country, but you got to give him the lead. And they have guys that that they can go to, but can they go to them multiple times on the weekend? Like that's just something that I'm I'm curious about this weekend. Virginia um, isn't like it's not like they're a lead on the mound either. Like they're they're good. They're down Nick Parker for the moment. He um, I haven't at least I believe they're still down Nick Parker following that that scary scene where he got hit uh, with a comebacker or line drive comebacker makes it sound like it was a dribbler a couple weeks ago. So they didn't have him last weekend against Virginia Tech. I, I assume he'll be out again this weekend. And, you know, what, what does that do for their pitching staff is everyone has to fill in those innings. But another very offensive weekend, I expect. Uh, slowing the, the UVA lineup down is, is really hard to do. Virginia Tech was able to do it enough to grab a couple wins. Now, now Miami will have to do it, but they're going to have to do it in Charlottesville. And like you said, Peter, uh, UVA really 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 difficult at home uh not just this year but but historically they're they're very difficult to beat in charlottesville and that's uh that's what what the task is for miami but you know you you, you asked the question about like if if they win this like then you get into the hosting race and everything and you know as someone that just spent the morning like working through the hosting race as it stands miami is kind of in it right now um you know it would look differently if they lost this series to be sure but the hosting race is a mess and you got to have 16 hosts is the thing. Um, and the outside of the sec, finding those 16 becomes a little more challenging. The, the last couple spots in this uh, hosting race right now are very much up for grabs. Some teams that we think are good, don't have the metrics right now. And I'm not really worried about it. If they're as good as they are, they'll get those metrics, but they don't have them now. And some teams that, have the metrics right now, have very sketchy conference records uh, like UCLA sitting top 10 in the RPI and six and five in the Pac-12 after uh, that series loss over the weekend. So there's just a lot of messiness right now. And uh, maybe a team like Miami can take advantage of that and, and jump into it with with both feet with a, a series win this weekend. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned it and there is a, it, a huge just jumble and mess, particularly in the last few hosting slots. But 
with conference play heating up and all these marquee series, it is one that will be cleaned up reasonably quick, I think, and we'll have Yeah, a... these SEC teams can't all be 8 and 1 forever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, it'll it'll be a mess that gets cleaned up rather rather swiftly. Yeah, it's a it's a tough time. You know, we experience it on Sunday night when we do our rankings. I experience it when I try and sort out the the hosts. We have a clean top 10 right now, I'd say. And if you look around at the various other polls, uh, I think you'll see that everyone generally is in agreement about the top 10 teams. And then it, it, it really deteriorates from there. And that's just where we are in the season. We'll, uh, the, the mess will come to the top 10 and be cleaned up in 15 through 20 at some point. But, you know, we'll, uh, at, every season goes through, you know, these stages. And, and right now we're, we're trying to figure out who the, who that top tier of teams is. And uh, it's, it's an exciting time as, as everything uh, works, works through itself naturally. Like you said, we'll, uh, we'll get there and uh, we'll be discussing it here on the baseball America college podcast uh, over the next several weeks. So make sure you're subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, hit that follow or subscribe button and rate and review if uh, if you can. Uh, we really appreciate that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. All of our work is over at BaseballAmerica.com, and there's plenty of it this time of year uh, as uh, it's a really fun time for Baseball America, not just in college, but if you're tracking the draft or tracking minor league baseball or major league baseball, we've got, we've got plenty of stuff there to read, so check that out. We'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast next week. Until then, thanks for listening. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.